Hi, this is Brent White, and welcome back to my podcast. Listen, I know that our nation, our world, is facing some challenging times with the ongoing threat of COVID-19. Tacoa First United Methodist Church, like all churches, will not be gathering live for worship this Sunday. But we are offering online worship starting at 8.30. You can access that worship service on our church YouTube channel and also on our church Facebook page. You can get more information about how to do that at our website, which is tacoafirstumc.org. In the meantime, I'm going to be offering daily devotionals, at least during the week on this channel. And of course, my family jokes that if the devotional is over 15 minutes, it's no longer a devotional. It's a sermon. What can I say? I'm a preacher. I like to talk. <laughs> I'm doing the best I can. Anyway, I hope you enjoy what follows. We're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. Even more importantly, God is going to bring us through this crisis. We're going to be okay because God is taking care of us. I want you to believe that. Anyway, I love you. I'll see you soon. Good evening, Tacoa First family. It's Monday, March 16th, and this is the first in a series of videos that, God willing, I'm going to be posting every weeknight on this YouTube channel. As long as this crisis lasts, as long as we continue to be quarantined, because I don't want you to feel quarantined from your church from your church family, from your pastors. So I hope that this series of videos will be, um, will be an inspiration to you, will encourage you during this difficult time. By the way, here's my favorite tweet that I've seen over the past few days. This comes from someone in Ireland. Day one, I have stocked up on enough non-perishable food and supplies to last me for months, maybe years, so that I can remain in isolation for as long as it takes to see out this pandemic. Day one, plus 45 minutes. I am in the supermarket because I wanted a Twix. <laughs> it helps to keep a sense of humor during a time of crisis. And make no mistake, we are in a crisis right now. I've already been concerned about the coronavirus itself and the threat that it poses to me and my family, my loved ones, including those of you in this congregation, especially those of you who have compromised immune systems. But now, this crisis looks like it might last for a while, and that has so many of us even more concerned. We see what's happening on Wall Street. We see what's happening to local businesses, especially retail establishments, to restaurants and shops, even those right here in our city of Tacoa. Um, are we going to go into a recession, a depression? What's going to happen to our jobs, to our businesses? What's going to happen to our 
economy. So many of us, all of a sudden, are feeling financially insecure. Add to that the disappointment that our young people are experiencing. I mean, there's, there's students right now at Stevens County High School who are worried that they're not going to have a prom this year, that they're not going to be able to walk for graduation, not to mention children and youth who are f- facing the disappointment of canceled sports programs and other extracurricular activities. College students are headed home and feeling very uncertain about the rest of the semester. And don't get me started about church. We have Holy Week. We have Maundy Thursday. We have Easter Sunday coming up. And and of course, the church, in order to continue to thrive, needs tithes and offerings. And uh, many of us are feeling out of control. Or more accurately, perhaps, we're reminded once again that we weren't really in control to begin with. Or we're reminded how quickly events outside of our control can quickly change our plans, even change our lives. So I thought I would begin this series of Tekoa First Family Devotionals by focusing on prayer. Doesn't that seem like a relevant topic right now? I want to begin by reading um, some of Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount about prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. If you have your Bibles, and you should, please turn to Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 7. Now, Lisa, my wife, always tells me that I don't give you enough time when I refer to Scripture to actually turn in your Bibles to it. So, If you need to, just press the pause button on this video. I'll wait. Okay, (laughs) now I'm going to read the scripture from Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Back when I was in college, I I read a book written by a respected Christian author. The book was about prayer. And I hate to say it, the author did not intend this, obviously, but this book caused great harm to my prayer life Um, because after I read it, I became convinced that I wasn't doing it right. I wasn't praying right. I wasn't praying correctly. I was a failure at prayer. For one thing, The book convinced me that my life was way too busy, that I needed to slow down, that I needed to foster a prayerful attitude, that I needed to get into the right frame of mind in order to pray properly. And the author talked about all kinds of things that we can do to make make us pray more effectively. 
For example, he talked about the way that we breathe and our posture, and he recommended using prayer beads and lighting candles. He even, he talked about how prayer warriors of centuries past prayed. And he said, you know, do what they did, follow their example, emulate these saints. To make matters worse, he said that I needed to make time to listen to God, that the most important part of prayer is listening to God. And that just takes a whole lot more time And I wasn't making enough time for prayer as it was. My point is, I felt like unless I could make enough time for prayer, unless I could create the right environment for prayer, unless I could just have the right attitude for prayer, unless I could pray in just the right sort of way, unless I could do all these things and do them perfectly, well, then I was a failure at prayer and maybe I shouldn't even pray at all. As a result, I prayed less and less, as you can imagine, which just made me feel like more of a failure than before I ever read that book, which was supposed to help me in my prayer life. How discouraging. But you know what I needed far more than I needed to read some book on prayer? I needed Jesus. Specifically, I needed Jesus to teach me how to pray because let's face it, there is no one who's ever lived who's prayed more effectively than him. And his disciples noticed how effective Jesus's prayer life was. In fact, in the other version of the Lord's Prayer, which comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 11, The disciples come to Jesus and they ask him, or they say to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. We've noticed how good you are at praying. We notice how supernatural and miraculous things happen when you pray. We've noticed that your father answers your prayers every time. Teach us to pray like that. Show us what to do, Lord. And that was the context in which Jesus gave his disciples what we call, usually, the Lord's Prayer. It could also more accurately be called the model prayer because it's a prayer that we could model our own prayers after. In Matthew, Jesus is preaching to a much larger group of disciples. He's preaching his Sermon on the Mount. And so it's the same prayer um, uh, in a, on a different occasion in Jesus's ministry. Now, we'll look at the Lord's Prayer later this week, but right now I want to focus on those words that Jesus speaks before he gives us his prayer. I want us to look especially at verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Now, Jesus lived in Galilee most of his life. He um, grew up in Nazareth, and then he moved as an adult to nearby Capernaum, which was directly on the Sea of Galilee. The, The point is, Jesus lived in Jewish communities all his life, but he was surrounded by Gentiles. He would have, you know, he was very familiar 
with the way that Gentiles prayed from firsthand experience. And he would have noticed that when they prayed, they wasted their breath with a lot of empty words, gibberish words and phrases, believing that if they use just the right words with the right tone of voice in the right order, then maybe, just maybe, they could get their God's attention and cause their God to listen to them and respond to them when they prayed. Apparently, they had to speak a lot of words in order to get their God's attention. And Jesus tells us, his disciples, no, Don't be like them. Authentic prayer isn't about using just the right words or, or doing it in just the right sort of way. Indeed, as with all things related to our relationship with God, prayer is not mostly about us and what we do. It's mostly about God and what God has done through his son Jesus, and what God is continuing to do for us through his Holy Spirit. In other words, when it comes to prayer, as with every other aspect of our relationship with God, it's all about grace. But in a way, I fell into that same trap that these Gentiles Jesus refers to in verse 7 fell into, Do these things when it comes to prayer. Apply these principles. Follow these techniques. And then God will do what? God will care about you enough to actually answer your prayers. God will will love you enough if you do all these things to respond to you in prayer. Perish the thought. Maybe you can relate to this too. I hope you can. Maybe maybe you think, I need to get my act together before God will listen to me. I need to make myself worthy before I ask God to do anything for me. I need to show God that I'm really, really sorry for for letting him down time and again. I'm sorry. I I know I've sinned in so many ways, but I'm going to change, God. You're going to see. I'm going to resolve to be a better person, to be more faithful, to live a better Christian life. After all, why, why, if, if I don't do those things, why should God do anything for me? It's not like I'm doing much for him. See what I mean? Jesus is telling us in verse 7 that our Father is, is not going to listen and respond to us when we pray because of who we are and what we do or what we fail to do. It's because of who God is. And and who is God? Listen, if we're in Christ, if we are Christians, then God is our Father. It's not about earning anything from Him. If you're a father, you know this. Think about your own kids. Can they do anything Do they have to do anything to earn your love? Do they have to behave in a certain way in order for you always, always, always to want what's best for them, to always be working in their best interest? Do they have to somehow earn the privilege to talk to you, 
to enable you to listen to them? Of course not. Don't you love it when your kids talk to you? I mean, selfishly speaking, if there is a silver lining to this COVID-19 crisis that we find ourselves in, for me, it's this. In a few days, all three of my kids will be under my roof and Lisa's roof for the first time in a while. And I get to hang out with them and I get to talk to them and listen to them. There's nothing better than, than being with my kids. If Jesus is right and God is our father, how could God not feel the same way? Only more so because unlike sinful human fathers like me, God's love is perfect and God's love never fails. Besides, remember the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15? The younger son squanders his father's money in a faraway country. He's broke. He's starving. He knows he's mistreated his father terribly. He knows he's taken advantage of his father's love. But he thinks, here's what I'll do. I'll return to my father. I'll fall on my knees. I'll tell him that I've sinned against him in so many awful ways. I'll tell him that I don't deserve anything from him, certainly not to be treated as one of his sons. I'll tell him that I only want to work as his hired hand. And then maybe if I do all these things and say all these things just right, then maybe, just maybe, he won't kill me or he won't throw me in prison or he won't beat me. <laughs> maybe, just maybe, he'll at least treat me as one of his slaves, which, which is a lot better than what I deserve. And you know the rest of the story, I hope. His father runs out to meet him. He throws his arms around him. He tells his servants to, to fetch the, 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 the best robe and put it on him, to dress him in his finest clothes, to give him his, his ring, to kill the fatted calf because there's about to be a party like the world has never seen. He's going to celebrate that his, that his lost son has come home to be with his father. Here's the thing. Look at the story in Luke 15. The father doesn't even let his son finish his well-rehearsed speech about how sorry he is and what he aims to do to straighten up and fly right. <laughs> doesn't even let him finish getting the words out of his mouth. The father doesn't need him to say or do anything else. That's God's grace. That's how our father views you, his child. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he longs to be with you, to spend time with you in prayer. If it's true for a prodigal son, why do you doubt for a moment that it's, that it's true for you and me? God's beloved sons and daughters. My point is, our Father is not reluctant to listen to you when you pray, to show you his favor, to show you his blessings, to give you exactly what you need and when you need it. 
The Apostle Paul writes, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Do you believe it, brothers and sisters? If you do, you can say amen right now. No one necessarily, no one's going to hear you maybe, but you can say amen. You can say hallelujah. But even more, I want you to pray. If you believe it, let's pray. Let's pray about what we need right now. Let's pray about what we need right now to handle this crisis. Let's pray that on the other side of this crisis, God has got something really, really good for us. Because we know he does. We know Romans 8, 28, he's always, always working for our good and for his glory. Amen. Almighty God, we do come to you now in prayer. This whole coronavirus, um, it, has, uh, it has turned our world upside down, at least temporarily. And we're afraid, if we can be honest, we're afraid, <laughs> many of us. And we don't know what's going to happen to our economy. Obviously, we're also concerned about our health. We're concerned about the health of, of loved ones who are perhaps uh, more vulnerable uh, to being uh, really harmed by this virus. The point is, we're afraid we're facing some uncertain times. But we know that this has not taken you by surprise. We know that you are still ultimately in control of everything going on. And we also know, according to your word, that you are working good, even from this crisis. And uh, we, we are grateful for that. But what we need right now, many of us, we need the peace that surpasses all understanding, which your word promises. We need you to supply our needs, one of which is being able to cope with this crisis, to overcome our fear with faith, to trust in you more deeply to lean into your word and its many promises that you are taking care of us. God, please enable us to do that. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.